I got to tell you, I almost really ask you is, what am I doing here? And I don't mean what am I doing here in Bozeman, because Bozeman's beautiful. I like Bozeman. I remember visiting Bozeman a long time ago and thinking I could live here. Um, I stayed with a friend, and I walked out her, her door in the morning. My wife and I stayed with them, and walked out their door, and I looked out, like, mountains, 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 beautiful. I said, I could live in Bozeman. I don't live in Bozeman. Um, <laughs> the camp I work with is Eastern Montana Bible Camp. So that gives you a hint as to where I live. It is not Bozeman. It is not mountains. Um, what am I doing? I'm not even from Montana. So why am I even here? Uh, I am from Wisconsin. So go Badgers. Anybody here from Wisconsin? Anybody? Yes. Where? Yeah. Where are you from? Rib, Rib, North Central Wisconsin. Rib Lake. I've been at camps up that direction. How far are you from, like, Rhinelander or from, uh, or Clam Lake, somewhere like that? Four, five, okay, I've been at Crescent Lake Bible Camp up there speaking, so if you know there. But. So we got two Wisconsinites. Okay, so tonight we're going to get together and watch the Badgers play in the Sweet 16, 545. Unfortunately, i got to leave early because i got to be at InterVarsity at 7. That's really bad timing. So for worship, we're just going to put the game up on the screen and we'll be good. Uh, so... <laughs> I was joking with Ryan beforehand. I'm like, yeah, that'll determine what my message is, too. It's either going to be, yeah, God loves you, or, you know, God loves you, even though life sucks. So it's either going to be one or the other. That was my message when the Packers played the NC Championship game this year. At the end of that game, I'm like, yeah, God loves you, even though life sucks. So, um, but what in the world am I doing here? I'm from Wisconsin. I like Wisconsin. I liked where I was in Wisconsin. I youth pastored there for 14 years at the same church. It was a little church plant when I moved in there. It was about a year old. Loved it there. We had two senior pastors that we were under. One was named Larry, and he was the age of my parents. I went there straight out of Bible college, and so he just kind of mentored me and took me under his wing, and it was great. Loved him. And then the second senior pastor that came in after Larry left, uh, his name was Matt, and he had been a youth pastor at a nearby church for five years um, beforehand. So we were good friends before he even came in. So I had a, a great friend for my senior pastor. Um, I like the house that we own there. In fact, I still own that house. So if you're looking for one, if you're going to be graduating and God is calling you to Wisconsin, see me afterwards. I have a house for you. Very low price. It's great. Uh, So I could do that for you. Um, I like my son's school. My son was attending kindergarten there. It was great. I loved our neighborhood. My family was close by. Everything was wonderful. My wife had a great job with great benefits. She was a teacher um, at a town about a half hour away. And everything was great there. There was no reason for us to leave. At all. I liked the kids I was working with, well, most of the time, like the kids I was working with. It was great. I loved it. There was no reason for me to leave Wisconsin to come to eastern Montana. I am from Wisconsin. Wisconsin, if you are not familiar, is covered with trees. Lots of trees. It is known as the North Woods. People from Chicago come to Wisconsin just to see trees. That's why they come there. And so they come up, and, and it, it's beautiful. It's covered in trees. Eastern Montana, there are no trees. Zero trees. How many of you, anybody in here from eastern Montana? I know Kelvin and Scott over there. Okay, you're from, where are you from? Circle. Circle. I was driving to Circle to do a service there last spring. And you know Richie. That's what, about 25 miles from Richie? To, and I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to count the number of trees that I see between Richie and Circle. And I counted to zero. There were zero trees. I thought I saw one. Turned out it was a bush. But... <laughs> It's not completely true. There was one creek where there was like a couple of trees down there, but they looked like they'd really rather be someplace else. And all the rest, there were no trees between Ritchie and Circle. 25 miles, not one tree. I am used to trees. This is killing me. My poor dog. It's so wide open out there. You can watch your dog run away for three days. I actually watched her do it 
She went, she was heading east. She's like, I need a tree. I got to go. And I'm like, no, come back. Which she eventually did. She's a husky. They eventually make their way back again. But it's just crazy. I'm also used to people. The town that I was in, I youth pastored in Columbus, Wisconsin, which in, by Wisconsin standards was a little town. It was about 5,000 people. And then I actually lived in Fall River, which was a little town that ran into it that is about 2,000 people. So about 7,000 people in that community, um, which by Wisconsin standards, small town. Montana standards, it's huge, especially by eastern Montana. I know Bozeman's bigger than that. <laughs> there was traffic today. I, I loved it. I drove in last night. I'm like, this is great. There's other cars. So <laughs> I have to stay in my lane now. This is weird. <laughs> there is a lane. That's really weird. And pavement. So I, uh, I'm used to people. I live 20 minutes outside of Madison. Madison its suburbs is about half a million people. I was an hour from Milwaukee. Milwaukee is a million people. I was two hours from Chicago, which is millions and millions of people. Within an hour of where I live, there were more people than live in the entire state of Montana. Now I live in Lambert, Montana, population 175, counting the stray dogs. And all the dogs are strays. They're just everywhere. And I'm like, there are no people. There are no trees. I started speaking. Kelvin mentioned I've been coming to, to EMBC since 2009. And... Um, I was youth pastor, and then I began to travel and speak at camps and retreats and, and, and doing things as an evangelist. And I started speaking at, at EMBC in 2009, and I would have to drive through Lambert to get to um, EMBC. Now, it didn't take long. It was like, oh, that was Lambert. And that was about all that was there. But I remember thinking and even telling my wife, how could anybody possibly live here? And apparently, like, nobody does. But how could these few people possibly live in this desolate place? It is so wide open. There's just nothing here. In fact, I have to drive 25 miles just to go to the grocery store, 25 miles to go to the bank, 25 miles to go to church, 25 miles to get anything, to see anybody else. It is in the middle of nowhere. Now, this is hard for somebody. I've realized that I am an urban person. When I was little, I lived in Milwaukee. When I was a little bit older, I lived in Madison. And then when I got a little older still, I moved up to Portage, which is a city of about 10,000 people. Um, about 45 miles north of Madison. I kept getting progressively smaller, and I thought, oh my goodness, I'm in trouble going to these small towns. Um, and then the town I was youth pastoring in was about 7,000 people, but I didn't know what small towns were until I moved out to Lambert, Montana. So why would I come out here it, if it was Bozeman? <laughs> and, and let me tell you, I tried to move to Bozeman. I, I thought, you know, Bozeman would be nice. If I'm going to move, Bozeman would be okay. I looked up churches, like, who's looking for a youth pastor? Because I'm I was okay with Bozeman. I like Bozeman. Um, in fact, if I could commute from Bozeman to EMBC, this is probably where I would live. And, but why would I come out here? I was so happy where I was. Everything was good where we were at. Well, we had been there for 14 years. It was great. But God started stirring something in my wife and my heart and telling us that it was time for us to go. It was time for us to leave. And it took a while. It took about a year for God to really work this in my heart to the point where I could seriously look at it because I said, why would I leave? I, I not only enjoyed what I was doing with the church, but I was also working on the, the University of Wisconsin campus. I loved that. Um, I actually did security down there. So I was at all the basketball games, football games. I'd be like this close to the, to the edge of the court and the edge of the field. It was weird. I'm five foot nine, and at the time I weighed about 170 pounds. And I was providing security for these guys that are six foot eight and 270, you know, whatever pounds wearing body armor. I'm like, no, stay back. You know, so like I'm going to protect these guys, the football players. Thank you. I would have been broken without you. <laughs> I'm like, just don't step on me. Okay, thanks. See you, Goliath. And, and that was... But I loved it. It was great. I was at all the games for free. 100,000 people in this, well, about 85,000 people in the football stadium. 
It was great. I love what I was doing. It was fantastic. So why would I leave that? Well, God just started telling me it was time for me to go. And he told my wife this too. In fact, she heard it long before I did. And when I finally started approaching her, going, I think maybe we're supposed to go somewhere. She's like, I know. And I'm like, but I just, there was no reason for me to go. And I didn't know where God was leading us to go. And I really began to pray about, God, are you, are you telling me to go? Are you telling me to leave? Is it time for us to leave this place? And, and uh, I really started saying that God was. And, and I wrestled with this because there was no reason for me to go. I liked it there. And as I, as I was dealing with this, I started saying, God, if I'm really supposed to go, I, I need you to confirm this to me because I'll go wherever you tell me to go, but I need to know that it's you. I don't want to go somewhere if it's not you. And this just doesn't make any sense, so why would you tell me to leave? i got to know this is you. And I began to pray about it. Now, I was on a youth ministries board for Wisconsin and northern Michigan, for the entire state and, and northern Michigan. And, and we would have our annual meetings, and uh, those meetings would last two days. And, and so I was heading up to these meetings, and I was praying. I said, God, if, uh, if you're really telling me to leave, I need you to help me here. There was another guy that I had gone to Bible college with that was on that board. His name is Mike. And uh, he was going to be there too. And I hadn't talked to anybody but my wife about what we were dealing with. But I said, God, if we're supposed to go, it would really be nice if I could room with Mike and just really have somebody to talk to about it, pray about this. He had been in one place for a long time before moving to, to a new place up, up by uh, Menominee, um, up, up along uh, the northern, not that any of you guys know where this is, but up, up along the border with Wisconsin and northern Michigan. And, and um, I said, it would be nice if I could room with Mike and just talk to him. I need, I need to know if this is you. And, and I got up there. We had our first full day of meetings. At the end of the day, the administrative assistant to the district youth director comes up to me, and she goes, we're going to have to have roommates in the hotel tonight. Um, I hope that's okay. I said, yeah, that's fine. She goes, would you mind rooming with Mike? I said, well, let me think about it. Sure. And so I took the room key. I'm like, yes. And so then I talked to Mike that night and shared with him what God was doing with us. And, and, uh, and he was able to give wisdom and pray with me and, and kind of talk me through a lot of stuff. And I got home from those meetings the next night, and I talked to my wife. I said, you know, I really... I think maybe we are supposed to go. And she's like, yeah. I said, but you know what would be really nice would be if, if I could just see Larry. Larry was our first pastor, and, and I remember when he had left. He had left to become a, a full-time missionary to people with special needs, working with people with disabilities. And when he left, it's like, yes, this is what God has made you to do. I remember when he told me he was leaving, and as a staff member, that should be heartbreaking news. You should just be like, oh, no, what am I going to do now? But instead, I started laughing. like, this is exactly what God made you to do, Larry. I'm so excited for you. Thought if I could just see Larry, that would be great. And uh, I was at church that, that Sunday. I'd only told my wife this. I was at church that Sunday. And while we're sitting in service, just as we're, we're actually, I was helping on the worship team. But as we're going through, a few minutes late into the service, in walks Larry and his wife, Carolyn. They walk into service. The very week that I had said, God, if we're supposed to go, I really need to see Larry. I think that'd be really helpful. And in walks Larry into the service. Now, he had called my pastor and said, I'm passing through town. We're, we're raising support, and, and we were doing some stuff, and we're passing through town, and we're going to be coming in for service this week, if that's okay. But my pastor had forgotten to tell me, and in walks Larry, right while I was in deal with it. I go down. We get done with worship. I'm like, oh, my goodness, God, what are you doing? And I go, and I sit down, and, and uh, sitting next to my wife, because occasionally she'll do that for me. Most of the time, she's like, I can't sit by you. You're distracting. I'm a little bit all over the place, in case you haven't noticed. They don't let me have caffeine for some reason. I don't know why! And um, <laughs> I like it! <laughs> so, um, so I'm sitting there next to my wife, and my pastor starts to speak, and he begins to speak out of numbers. And it was a passage that I had spoken on not too long before that, 
uh, to my youth group kids. And it was all about how God revealed himself to the Israelites as a cloud when they were wandering in the wilderness. You remember this? And they would follow the cloud. And when the cloud would move, they would follow the cloud. And when the cloud would stop, they would stop. And they would just follow the presence of God wherever he led them throughout the wilderness with this cloud. And the whole service, all Matt kept talking about was, when the cloud moves, you had better move with it. If God is going somewhere, you need to be where he is. If he stops, you stop. You stay where he stops. But when the cloud moves, you follow the cloud. You follow the cloud. You follow the cloud. You better not stay when the cloud moves. And that's all he kept preaching the whole time. And I finally leaned over to my wife and I said, he doesn't know it, but he's preaching me out the door right now. Because he had no idea what we were dealing with. In fact, I wrote, had my Bible with me, because that's what I do at church. And I had my Bible with me, and right at the top of the front, I said, move with the cloud. I had wrote it right in my Bible, I'm like, move with the cloud. There, be, there was no question we were supposed to go. God orchestrated all these events. Every little detail that I said, God, if this is really you, I mean, Gideon had nothing on what I laid out before the Lord. And everything was, it is time for you to go. Now, there was a problem. He didn't tell me where I was going to. And so I'm like, God, if we're supposed to go, most of the time, if you leave a place, a position, it's to go to someplace else. If I'm going to be, you know, okay, I'm going to be a senior pastor over here, God forbid, or I'm going to be a youth pastor over here, I'm going to be doing this over here. But there was nothing for me to go to. I had no idea what I was supposed to do, other than we're supposed to be done and leave. That's an incredibly scary place to be. I'm like, God, you got to tell us what we're supposed to do. He said, no, I don't. <laughs> so I remember listening. You guys know the song Oceans by, by United? That song came out just as I was going through all this stuff. And I remember sitting there just listening to that song and crying and praying and putting it on repeat and just listening to it over and over again and going, God, I don't know where you're taking me, but I'm going to wander where my feet would never wander on their own just following you. And I guess this is what we're doing. And I prayed. I said, God, we want to live by faith, and we want to walk in faith. We just keep walking in faith, and that's what we need to do. I had no idea what I was praying at the time, by the way. That's an incredibly scary prayer. People say never pray to ask God to give you patience. Never pray for God to increase your faith, because God will do it. And it's been an interesting experience, I can tell you, over the last couple of years. It's been an interesting experience. On on top of this, the church that we were in, we had been renting a building. In fact, we have been renting several buildings. When we first started, I told you we were a church plant. Our youth group met in Burger King, um, which that was interesting. They had a little room that had been a play area once, and then they ripped all that stuff out and just glassed in, but we didn't have a building, so uh, we met at the Super 8 Hotel in their little breakfast area on Sunday mornings. Like, woo We had a, a church of about 17 people on a Sunday morning. And so Wednesday nights, we met at Burger King. And I don't know, maybe you guys have a class on this here, but when I first came in, the youth group just started exploding. That happens when a new youth, youth pastor comes in, especially when they really didn't have a youth group before I got there. So, you know, increase of one. Yay, we exploded. So I, I was in there. And, uh, and we started growing really fast, and friends were big friends, and other friends were big friends, and those friends wouldn't get along, and I had girls getting in fistfights in the parking lot of Burger King. They didn't have a class on that at my Bible college. Maybe they do here. I don't know. Do you have somebody that teaches youth ministries here? You need to add that to your curriculum. Put that in the syllabus. How to deal with girls getting in fistfights at Burger King, because that was interesting. So anyway, eventually we, we outgrew that, and we moved our youth group into our, our senior pastor's basement, where at least we could contain the violence, and, uh, and sell tickets. And, you know, it was fun. It's UFC. Uh, and so <laughs> it's the girls' division. Um, so, um, but so we moved in there, and then eventually we moved out of the Super 8, and we moved into an old nursing home uh, because all the residents apparently died, so they closed it. And so we moved in. I don't know. They, they went somewhere. They're all dead now, I'm sure. Um, so, 
they're old. Um, so we moved in there, and then eventually our pastor left, and we got a new pastor, but the people who owned that building got nervous, so they moved us out of there because they didn't know, what's this little church going to do? So we moved into what had been a warehouse. It had concrete floors, bare insulation on the walls, and the ceiling wasn't done. Um, we redid all that. The youth room we called the garage because it was a garage. I've always been very creative. It had no heat in there. We put in all these space heaters and stuff, and it would be 45 degrees in there in wintertime. And all the kids are like, ah, just freezing under blankets. I'm like, it's the frozen chosen. And so we'd all be in there. It was great. And then we moved across the street out of there because they sold that building. We moved into a bowling alley. We were the only church in town with a bar. The Catholics were very jealous. And it was, it was great. Um, and so we were meeting in there for a while, and then we'd been praying. I mean, you got to realize, I was there 14 years, and that entire 14 years, we were like, God, give us a building, please, this is getting crazy. And just before we left, uh, before we had, I'd even told my pastor what was going on, and before uh, anything else, um, the Baptists in town had... Uh, uh, now you guys all know I'm not Baptist. Um, but the Baptist church in town, now you hate me. Um, the Baptists in town had outgrown their building, and so they were going to sell it. They were building a new building, but they wanted to sell it to another church in town because they wanted to be someone who's going to be preaching the gospel. They wanted the building to be used what it was made to be used for. And they were afraid it would get bought by a developer, it would be turned into apartments, or, or it would be um, uh, turned into office buildings, whatever. And they gave us a very good price. They said, $120,000, you guys can have it. It was a great deal. But... If you don't have $10, 120000 might as well be $120 million, and we didn't have $10. We were broke. Well, they kept bringing the price down. They eventually brought it down to $80,000, and we kept, and we walked around. We're like, this is, we'd go in the building like, this is where we're supposed to be. We just sense this is the building God has for us. And the Baptist said, we sense this is the building God has for you, and we really need to sell it. So it's really, this is the building God has for you. And they, eventually, they, they got to the point where they said, we just got to sell this thing. And after about a year, uh, they had their new building done. And um, they're getting ready to move into it, and they got this lowball offer from somebody, and uh, it was a developer, and they offered him forty thousand dollars cash. And they called my senior pastor up. It was a Saturday. They called him, I believe, three times. They said, "Are you sure? Are you sure you can't move in here?" And they said, "It's forty thousand dollars." They said, "That's a great deal, but forty thousand or forty million makes no difference at this point. So you guys, just, you do what you need to do. We understand. You guys do what you got to do." And uh, my pastor was sharing with me on Sunday morning that this is what happened, me and one of the other worship leaders. And, and um, I said, you know, you always hear these stories about how God will be doing something and, and somebody will come up and go, you know, I was praying and God told me to give you a couple ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 for something. And wouldn't that be great? We all ask, like, that never happens to us. Isn't that crazy? We got done with service and this lady walks up to my pastor and goes, you know, I was praying and I have this $20,000 set aside. I feel like God wants me to give it to the church for a new building. Could you use that? Um, <laughs> and he goes, who have you been talking to? She goes, no one, just God. He goes, no, really, who have you been talking to? She's like, no one. And he spent the next 20 minutes trying to talk her out of donating $20,000 to our church. And finally, at the end, he's like, fine. And he grabs me, he goes, Pat, we got to make a trip over to the Baptist church. This is what just happened. So we swung over there to the Baptist church as fast as we could. Um, thankfully, they got out after us. We did that on purpose because they fill up the restaurants and we like to go out to eat. So <laughs> we got over there. And, uh, and you could see why they needed a new building. There was no space. They were wrapping it up, and um, we're standing in the back, and there is no place for us to sit. So we just stand there. And it was, it was kind of cool because the pastor, our youth group at that time, was meeting on Sunday nights, and um, the pastor was preaching exactly what I was preaching to my youth group kids that night. I'm like, yes, confirmation. So it was cool. I'm like, preach it, brother. You're awesome. So he got done, and we walk up. He's like, oh, hey, guys. How are you doing? We said, 
we need to talk to you for a minute. So come in my office. And we said, we don't want to put any pressure on you. We don't want to, um, uh, you know, guilt you and do anything, but our situation has changed. And so we laid out for him what was going on. We said, if you still want to take this other offer, we understand that's fine. We are not offended. But we want to let you know what's going on. And his jaw just dropped. He goes, let's pray. And we gave hands and we pray. And they were having a meeting. The offer was so low that after church that day, they were having a meeting with the entire congregation to get permission to accept that low ball offer. He said, I will present to them what you've told us. And so we get done and we, we wait for their call. Nothing happens. I have youth group that night. Nothing happens the next day. Nothing happens. Finally, Monday afternoon, they call up. They go, oh, I'm so sorry. I meant to call you. We voted and we decided that we would do nothing. We would give you a week. And that way you could see if you could put together some kind of an offer. And so they ended up putting together an offer for $50,000, which they took. And, uh, and our church was moving in a new building. I said, God, I've been praying for this for 14 years. And they finally moved in a new building, and I'm not going to be here? He said, that's right. He said, this is a new chapter. You were part of the old chapter. Now we're turning a page. And this isn't for you. And that, even that became confirmation to me that we were supposed to go. I told my pastor in April, April 10th, it was my birthday, we had gotten back from district council for our, congrega- or for our, our denomination, fellowship, denomination is a naughty word, and so we had gotten down for some reason, and so we had, we had um, gotten back, and I called up my pastor, and because we didn't have our own building, we didn't have our offices, I worked out of my house, he worked out of his house, and, and I, I called him up, I said, Pastor, I called Matt, I didn't call him Pastor, it would have been weird, so I'm like, Matt, I really need to talk to you tomorrow, can we get together? He goes, what's going on? I said, oh, it's not a big deal. I'll just talk to you tomorrow. He goes, no, 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 what, what, what's going on? I said, well, I really don't want to talk to you about this over the phone. He said, you already have. What's going on? <laughs> I said, well, and I laid out for him what God was doing. And uh, he goes, okay, well, let's get together tomorrow and we'll pray together. And he drove school bus outside of the church, and he almost had to pull his bus over the next day because the tears were streaming down his face. Because we were, we're best friends. My son and his youngest son are best friends. And leaving... It was unbelievable. After everything God was doing in our church, and here we were, we were leaving, but there was no question God was moving us on. We announced the church at the beginning of May, and what was interesting is, is because we were a church plant, most of the youth group kids had not grown up in the church. They didn't know anything about the Bible. They knew that, that Moses had put animals on some kind of a boat and then gotten off, and this burning bush had spoken to Gideon, who put Bibles in hotel rooms. And, you know, it was, that's like all they knew. And so because of that, I had started in the book of Genesis and gone basically chapter by chapter through the entire Pentateuch, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And I started this about three years ago, uh, three years before this time. And what was interesting is I announced in May that we were going to be leaving. And where we were, I hadn't planned this, but where we were was the end of Deuteronomy. And my last four services there were all dealing with Moses is leaving. Not that I'm Moses, but that Moses is let my no, <laughs> I get to go. Um, so, but it was Moses was leaving. God was going to raise up a new leader, and they were going into a new place under new leadership. I couldn't have timed that. It was exactly what we were going through as a youth group, as a church, and for me. Got out of there first Sunday in June with our last Sunday there, and then I came out to EMBC where I'd been speaking for years, and and I get there, and I was there for two weeks that that summer at senior high and junior high, and the weekend in between, Larry, who is the camp manager, pulls me aside, and, and he says, can we talk for a little while? I'm like, oh, great, what did I do now? <laughs> what bad doctrine did I preach this week? And so he pulls me aside, he goes, no, I, he goes, I, I'm just wondering what you guys are up to, and I was wondering if, maybe, he goes, I haven't talked to the board, none of this is official, but I'm wondering, would you be interested in maybe coming out here and working at the camp year-round? 
I said, I would be interested in anything. If you write up some kind of a proposal, I would be happy to take a look at it and pray about it and see if that was God's leading us to do. That was the end of our conversation. We never talked about it again. And I kind of forgot about it. Um, I got done with the camps there. I did another camp in North Dakota. I had to get back to Wisconsin, the camps that we were doing over there. And got back to Wisconsin. We put our house up for sale. And I said, well, what if, what if it sells? Then where do we live? We've got no place to go. Apparently, that was nothing to worry about. That's been like two years now, and it's still for sale. So apparently, I didn't need to be concerned about that. But I'm like, what do we do? My wife started applying for jobs. Her, she's originally from Sydney, Montana. And so she applied for some jobs. Her dad still lives, lives over there. We knew with the oil boom, there's a lot of stuff going on in that area. I said, well, let's look out that direction too, I guess. So she applied at Lambert for a teaching position that had opened up. And uh, they ended up doing a Skype interview with her. And she got done with the interview. She goes, Pat, I think if they offer me the job, I think we're supposed to take it. I said, I think so too. And sure enough, they called up and they offered her the job. And I went, oh my goodness, we're moving to Lambert, Montana. The one place I never wanted to live in my entire life. Praise God. And I'm like, and I didn't even know why. My wife had a job, but I didn't. What am I doing going out to eastern Montana? And I, and I said, God, you got to show me what's going on. And I had to go up to this camp in northern Wisconsin. It was about a six-hour drive, which I drove the other day from, from Lambert to, to Great Falls because I've been traveling around and talking to different schools and different people. And, and that was about a six-hour drive. And I got almost halfway across Montana driving like 85, 70 miles an hour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> across my dad in six hours. Wisconsin, the speed limit is 65. It takes about six hours to get all the way across the entire state. So Montana's a little bit bigger, but I'm heading up there, and I'm in my old Ford Contour where the air conditioning doesn't work, so I got the windows down, and, and I'm driving 75, no, 65, I can't drive 75 miles in that car. Things would fall off, including possibly me. So I'm going like as fast as it will go, about 70 miles an hour, windows down, and I'm just driving up, I'm like, God, what are you doing? And I'm mad because I don't want to leave where I am. I like where I am, and I'm going to nothing, literally and figuratively. I am going to nothing. What in the world? And I was like, God, what are we doing? I'm supposed to be going up to this camp to tell these kids how they need to follow God. It's exciting. You want to live a life where you serve God with all that you have, and and he'll lead you. It's going to be this great opportunity for you to follow God. And I'm like, God, I'm not feeling this. And uh, it's a junior high camp, and I'm like, I gotta do. So I'm blasting music. I'm like Toby Mac and whatever, just blasting. Then I get closer, put in worship, stop for ice cream. That always helps. And just get over to the camp. We had a great week at camp. It was 97 degrees out in the National Forest. It was beautiful. Mosquitoes, you go like that, and there's 40 mosquitoes dead. The chapel is an open tent with the back door. Um, it's wide open, so they have a little electric thing down the zap and mosquitoes all the time. It's a great light show. It's like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is cool. And, uh, and so you're there. Great week at camp, had a great time. I get back to the car and meet I'm just like, what am I doing? Stop for ice cream again, helped. Uh, and, and cookie dough ice cream, you got to have that in a waffle cone. And then headed back home, I'm like, what are we doing? I got back on Friday night, we were leaving Monday. We packed up our minivan. We didn't even know where we were going to be living. Uh, they said we have housing available for you, but we didn't know what that meant. And they didn't know what that meant yet at that time either. Um, and so we we're going to go and stay in my father-in-law's basement. I love my father-in-law, not so fond of his basement. It's a one-bedroom house with one bathroom, not even a shower, just a bathtub. It was going to be my father-in-law, my brother-in-law, his dog, my wife, myself, um, our son, and our dog, all crammed into this one-bedroom house with one bathroom. I'm like, yeah, this is going to be fun. And so I'm, I'm driving out, packing the thing up, and then what we were going to do is we're going to go out there, and then I was going to come back after a few weeks once we found out where we were permanently going to be living, pack up all of our stuff, and move out there. And I'm driving, and I'm bitter. We leave at night, 
driving all night. We're going across Minnesota, which makes me bitter anyway. And so, home of the Vikings, whatever. And so we're, we're driving. Where's Scotty? Okay, take that hat off, man. We'll pray later. And so, driving across, I'm just like, God, what are you doing? And I am bitter. I'm angry. And my wife is like, you know, she can tell. Because I'm just snapping at my wife. Naughty. Don't ever do that. Calvin, where are you? Don't. No. Don't snap at her. She'll take that matching jacket right off. And so, <laughs> sorry. And so, <laughs> so cute. Um, and so, they, I, I'm driving across Minnesota. I'm just like, Ugh! and my wife's like, I'm just going to go to sleep because you're kind of bitter right now. And I'm like, I am. I'm like, God, what are we doing? And we get to Fargo, and I fill up at the petrol gas station there, the truck stop. And I, it's about 4, 4.30 in the morning, and I'm, I'm pulling off back onto the interstate. And at this point, my wife and my son are awake because we had stopped. And, we just get off of the entrance ramp, and I see this police car coming the other way. Now, I've been very careful not to speed going through Fargo because they're mean there. And so I was like, I don't want to get pulled over. And so I've been very careful, but I'm getting up to speed at 75 miles an hour in North Dakota. And I was very excited because I like to drive fast. And, and I, I'm, I'm getting up to speed, and this cop turns his lights on and turns around and pulls me over. I was doing like 67 miles an hour. I wasn't even up to speed yet. I'm like, what in the world? It's 75 miles an hour here. And he comes over. And, and, and he pulls me over, and my son is awake at this moment. He looks back, and he sees the lights. He goes, starts going, be-doo, be-doo, be-doo. I go, Anderson, now is not the time. He goes, yes, it is. Look, the lights, be-doo. I'm like, you little minion. I'm gonna, and, and my wife, bless her, she goes, Anderson, really, you probably should be quiet right now. Daddy will kill you. <laughs> and so, so I'm trying to, and the cop comes up, and he says the thing that cops always say when they pull you over. Do you know why I pulled you over today? I always want to say, is it because of the body in the trunk? But I haven't had the... <laughs> courage to say that yet and um and 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 i can see just at the end of my headlights this little sign that says 55 miles an hour it's a temporary little sandwich sign apparently there was some road construction but i was just getting on i hadn't gotten to a, a speed limit sign yet i didn't know that and he pulls me over and i'm talking to my, my and he takes my information he goes back to his car and i, I turn to my wife and she says, what do we do? Do we fight this if he gives us a ticket? I mean, it would cost us more money to drive back and forth than the ticket's going to be. But what in the world? How could they possibly give us a ticket? We haven't even gotten the speed limit sign yet. And uh, he comes back, and sure enough, he goes, well, I've got bad news for you. You will be getting a ticket tonight. But the good news is it's North Dakota. It's $15. I'm like, yeah! I'm like, here's 40 Keep the change. Get me on my way. And so I was so excited. I'm like, this is awesome. And so then I was in a good mood. It was the best, the best ticket I've ever gotten in my life. My family goes back to sleep, and I'm praying. I'm like, God, you're awesome, $15. And I'm driving. I put on some worship music. I start praying, and God goes, now let me tell you why you're coming here. See, he said, you've been faithful in taking a step. You took one step when you decided to resign the church, another step when you talked to your pastor, another step when you um, announced the church. Another step when you put your house up for sale. He goes, you've been taking step of faith, step of faith, step of faith. But you know what? In the end, it's a walk of faith. It's a walk of faith. And he said, this is what you're going to be doing. Turn to Philippians. We don't have much time left. I'm so sorry. I'm an evangelist. This is what happens. But <laughs> next is lunch, right? Who cares? <laughs> We're not hungry. So, um, but God goes, let me tell you, you have been faithful and obedient to what I've called you to do. Let me tell you what you're walking to. He goes, you're going to go and you're going to work for Eastern Montana Bible Camp. They don't know I'm coming. (laughs) Little problem. Wasn't a problem for God. So they don't know you're coming, but it doesn't matter. You're going to work for EMBC. And what you're going to do is you're going to develop partnership with churches. 
So that way when students come to camp and they go, what do I do now? You can go, here, I know this church. Let me show you where you can go. You can do services with them. We can connect with them. We connect our campers with churches. You can do rallies. Go to where the kids are at. You can work with the schools. Eastern Montana is in the middle of the oil boom, and they are hurting. They don't have a clue how to deal with suddenly having all these people Thousands and thousands of people moving in. They don't know how to deal with it. Well, if we have a camp, can go to EMBC and say, hey, what can we do to serve you? You're going to uh, provide opportunities for students to come to, to fall retreats, to winter retreats. You're going to communicate with the kids year-round. So it's not just one week of camp and then they're done. You hit them up for the next 51 weeks, help them to grow and disciple. So this is what you're coming to. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 3 says, I thank my God every time I remember you and all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You see, and by the way, I got up there. I got a hold of Larry, the camp manager, and he got excited. We talked for about an hour. He had me type everything up. He gave it to the board, and the board had a meeting in August. They met with me in September. I laid out for them about a half hour everything that God had, had put on my heart. They said, oh, you didn't check the minutes from last month, did you? And they looked at the minutes. They'd already voted to create the position that I had, had, had in mind and then also to hire me on to do it. I said, we could have saved a lot of time if you had showed me this in the first place. But they created the position. That's what we've been doing ever since. And God's been doing amazing, amazing things. See, God brings to completion what he's called you to do, but we need to be faithful to God. So often we hear about people saying you need to step out in faith. God doesn't want us to step out in faith. He wants us to walk in faith. You guys remember Peter? Peter stepped out in faith. Jesus is out on the boat, and, or is out walking on the water, like, oh, it's a ghost. He's like, no, it's just me. Look, no skis, splash. And, and, and they're like, ah. Oh. And Peter's like, well, if it's really you, Lord, tell me to walk out to you. Right? And Jesus is like, okay, coming out. Peter's like, what did I say? <laughs> uh, okay. So he stepped out of the boat, right? And he took a step, and then another step. And it was cool. He took a step of faith. And if I was on the boat, I'd be like, look at Peter, he's walking on water. But what happened? Peter took a couple steps, and then he sank. And after Jesus saved him from drowning, he raised him up. And what did he say? All of us would have been like, he walked on water, dude. And Jesus' response was, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus isn't interested in us stepping out in faith. He wants us to walk in faith. Because whether you step out or don't step at all, if you don't continue to walk, the result's the same. You get wet. God wants us to walk in faith. EMBC has some amazing things going on. I've hardly talked about EMBC today. But there are amazing things happening at EMBC, and we would love to have you come and partner with us. If you're looking for something to do this summer, we're hiring counselors throughout the month of June. We will pay you millions of dollars. No, um, hundreds of dollars. We will give you some money if you will come and work with us. You won't get rich, but we would love to have you come be a part of what God is doing. How many of you are graduating or are not coming back that you know next year? How many of you are a little nervous about that? Yeah, I remember being at Bible college and praying, like, God, what now? God wants you to continue to walk in faith. You stepped out when you came to Bible college. Now he wants you to walk in it. And EMBC may be a part of that. We'd love to help you discover where God wants to lead you. But walk in faith. God had prepared me throughout my life for what I'm doing now. I just never knew it. He had prepared me perfectly for it. But it took stepping out and then continuing to walk in faith to discover it. You stepped out, you're here. I want to challenge you this morning to walk in faith. Walk in faith. There's so much more I'd love to share with you. Come and talk to me in the back. I'll tell you about EMBC. I'll share with you about some of the other things that God is doing. But uh, let me just pray for you real quick, and then we'll dismiss.
Lord, I thank you for these students that are here this morning. Some of them are in the place where I was not too long ago. God, what are you doing? Where am I going? Why am I going through all of this? But you call us to walk in faith. Not just step out. Stepping out is exciting, but it's the walk where things get accomplished. And so, God, I ask that you help them to just trust you. As I was taking my walk, I didn't know where my foot was going to land from one step to the next, but you always put solid ground beneath my feet. And you'll do the same for them. Help them to trust you and to walk in faith, to go where you lead them. In Jesus' name, amen.